0: Good morning, everyone. I have to apologize to uh, Chris for getting here just a little bit late. I think I had him worried, and uh, Bill told me he turned his phone off. (laughs) If any of you recall the last time I was to speak. Well, do you think it's easier to spring forward or to fall back? Kind of mixed, uh, mixed opinion. As you get older, falling back comes more natural, I think. So uh, (laughs) it might be falling back. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to fill in for Doug uh, to allow him some time with his family uh, on spring break. I know there's a lot of others that are out for spring break with their family as well. When he talked to me about uh, speaking today, he thought maybe one of the things we might do rather than just going through a continued uh, verse-by-verse study of 1 Peter, would save that for him, and to maybe just uh, take a backstory, maybe of the Apostle Peter, to uh, augment and to help us understand a little bit more about the writing of the book that we're going uh, through in 1 Peter. So I, I titled the sermon today, uh, Peter, the Rest of the Story. If I were to ask you what stories come to mind uh, when someone asks you about Peter, what, what would be one of the first stories you might think of? Maybe it was the uh, story that Doug referred to last week about Peter in the garden with the sword and cutting off the Roman soldier's ear. Or maybe a story that, that Larry referred to in his communion talk last week, Peter in the denial. That That's one you might think of. Or maybe you would think of the story of Peter stepping out of the boat to walk on the water and beginning to sink, and Jesus saying the words to him, O ye of little faith. Or maybe the story of Peter when uh, He pulled Jesus aside after Jesus said that he was going to die and be crucified, and Peter had told him, no, his Messiah wasn't going to be crucified, and he received probably the strongest rebuke of any of the disciples. What do all those stories have in common? I mean, besides the fact that Peter tended to get corrected in most all of those stories, there's stories of Peter... The disciple, Peter, the student, you know, if if I were to tell you that after you die, the main stories anybody's going to remember about you are the stories when you were in high school, when you were a student, maybe in college, I think for all of us, I don't know, maybe some of you matured earlier than I did, but that would be a sad, sad thing to think about. And yet that sometimes is what takes place when we talk about Peter. So my my goal today is to share a few of the Apostle stories, stories of Peter the Apostle, and maybe give us some insight into some of those Peter the Disciple stories and how those stories prepared him for these apostle stories. And to also kind of bridge the gap that Doug kind of alluded to last week uh, when he was reading something, and I don't recall exactly what it was that Peter had written in the book of 1 Peter, and, and he said at that time, he said, what happened here? Has Peter gone soft on us? Where's Peter with the sword? So. It's kind of to bridge the gap between the writings that we're reading in 1 Peter and the apostle stories. I, I did a Bible study on uh, two or three years ago in the fellowship room on the apostle Peter. And one of the things that I observed in reach researching that is that there's basically... Two views out there historically, as far as Christians are concerned, about Peter. There is the Catholic view, which is a, just a virtual almost deification of Peter. If any of you have had the opportunity to go to the uh, Vatican and Rome, I, I did several years ago, uh, there's a basilica there, St. Peter's Basilica, and it is one of the most fabulous structures in the world, one of the the most fabulous churches, and it's one of the the holiest of shrines for the Catholics. And they believe under that high altar in St. Peter's Basilica is Peter's body entombed because they believe that Peter came to Rome, started the church in Rome, and became the first vicar for Christ, became the first pope. And with that, they take the scriptures that are so specific and so special directed towards Peter, and they apply those things to the papacy and to the Roman Catholic Church. So you've got that view of Peter on one side, and then you have what is the what I'm calling the Protestant view on the other side. And the Protestant view is almost a, uh, an overreaction to the Catholic view. And it's what, what I call sometimes the dumbing down of Peter. The stories of poor Peter, poor impetuous Peter, always got his foot in his mouth, always making mistakes. And all of those stories being the ones that are tended to be looked at as almost a way of getting away from the extreme view of the Catholics. So what I want to do is try to stay away from either one of those extreme views and maybe take a little fresh look at the one who wrote the book that we've been going through in our study. There's only a handful of people in the Bible where God changed their name because there was a specific role in the plan of God that they were going to be accomplishing. You think of in the Old Testament, Abram to Abraham, Sarah to Sarah, uh, Sarai to Sarah, Jacob to Israel, and who would you think of in the New Testament? Simon to Cephas or to Peter. Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S in the Greek and P-E-T-R-U-S in the Latin, meaning rock. And when was it that his name was changed? If you look at John chapter 1 and verse 42, this is the first time Jesus meets Peter. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Jesus changed Peter's name right in the very beginning, right in the very beginning. And this is such, to me, uh, an important part of Peter's story. Jesus knew from the very start when he changed his name what Peter was going to be doing. And he spent three and a half years preparing him for that role. he was to play he goes on to say this in matthew chapter 16 and verse 16 when jesus had asked the disciples who who do they say i am who do others say that i am and when he uh, asked that question then to the disciples and said who do you say that i am then Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And his response, Jesus' response to him is, Blessed are you, in verse 17, You, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This is not an example or a story of oh, look, Peter was the first one to guess the right answer. No, he says, it didn't come to you by flesh and blood. It was revealed to you by the Father. And then he says something to Peter that is said to no one else, to no other apostle. He says this in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 16. I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, as much as these words have been twisted and misapplied and Protestants seem to steer away from them, This, nonetheless, is one of the highest callings given to a servant of God in all of Scripture. That's the high calling of the Apostle Peter. And as I said, Jesus spent three and a half years after saying that to him, preparing him for the calling that he was given. I want to look at, for the rest of the story, what Luke tells us. Luke is the one... And the Acts of the Apostles that tells us the rest of the story about Peter. And looking at Acts, Acts is basically story of Peter the Shepherd and of Paul the teacher or missionary. Almost all of the first portion of all the book of Acts is stories about the Apostle Peter. I want to look first just as just an overview to set the stage. Acts chapter 1, Peter took the lead in choosing Matthias to replace Judah. So right from the very start, Peter took that role on which God had given him. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, he preaches one of the most powerful sermons in Scripture. And after being convicted by his words, The people ask at the end of that sermon, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? And the answer that Peter gives in answering that question is the same answer that the church has been giving for the last 2,000 years to that same question What shall we do? He said in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the key that opens the gates of heaven. And those words that Peter spoke have been the centerpiece for the church over all these years, all the baptismals here. And on baptismals all over the world for all that period of time have centered around those words spoken in one way or another. They were spoken when I was baptized, and I'm sure they were probably spoken when you were baptized. And that came from the words that Peter spoke when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. It says in verse 41 of that same chapter, he said that over over 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were being questioned before the Sanhedrin after they had healed the lame beggar. And putting this in, in a perspective, they were standing before, at that time, some of the same men that Jesus had stood before. And here Peter is, writing for his life and John as well because they wanted to get rid of both of them early on. And I ask you this, what story might you think about, what disciple story would you might think about that prepared Peter for when he was standing here being tried himself? Do you think of a disciple story? Maybe the one that Larry talked about in the communion thoughts last week. Do you think as he stood before them being tried himself that his mind might not flash back to what Larry described last week as the look? Because this was the first time Peter had a chance to stand before some of those same men that were trying Jesus And after having denied Jesus three times, this was the first time for the Messiah to be able to hear his words. That denial story prepared Peter in such a way that you cannot imagine with the boldness and the strength that he spoke. Verse 11, in the response to the Sanhedrin, in verse 11, of Acts chapter four, this is how he responded. John might have thought, Peter, you could go a little light on this, but he didn't. No, I'm sure John didn't think that, but this is the way he responded to them. He said, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Then Peter makes a statement that infuriated them, all of them that were listening, In the same way, it's continued to infuriate people when the church has continued to preach these same words that Peter spoke. This is what he said in verse 12 Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You can't help but think that Peter was very anxious to hear, let his Messiah hear him speak those words. Acts chapter 5, another apostle story. This is a strange story. It's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. It seems like it's almost a story that should be in the Old Testament rather than the New Testament. But Peter is being used by God to make a statement to the church right from the very beginning. Now, if you recall the story, Ananias had sold some property, as others did, and others had sold property and brought the money and given all of it to the church. Well, Ananias had sold property. He took the money, and he brought half of it under the pretext he was giving all of it. And you say, well, he was was giving half of it, you know. That was good that he was giving half of it. Well, notice what Peter had to say in this story in Acts chapter 5 and verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? But after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? And he said this, you have not just lied to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Do Peter's words here remind you of anything maybe that Peter might have heard before? Maybe in a disciple's story? I don't know about you, did you ever think that the rebuke that, that Jesus gave Peter when Peter had tried to say, you're not going to die? You know, him coming out with those words of get behind me, Satan, that they, they seemed almost harsh. The Spirit of God in Peter could see in Ananias where this was all coming from, much in the same way Jesus could see where Peter's words were coming from. When Peter was telling Jesus, you will not surely die, Jesus was hearing the same words from Peter's mouth that Satan had spoken to him in the great temptation. He heard those same words. Peter, through the Spirit of God, perceived what Ananias was saying. And he recognized that that was not coming from him; that was coming from Satan. One of the uh, uh, one of the commentaries that uh, on this on this very scripture said, Peter was able to discern Satan's first attempt to infiltrate God's church, and it was met with the force and the fury of a protecting shepherd. Another disciple story that we referenced uh, in the beginning, the one that ended up with Jesus saying, O ye of little faith, Luke recounts something here in Acts chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 That's the Apostle's story. It says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to the number. As a result, people brought their sick into the streets and laid them on beds and on mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. A big step from O Ye of Little Faith, huh? a great story of Peter the Apostle. And then there's the story of Dorcas or Tabitha. That's not one sometimes we think of very quickly when we think of Peter's story, but it's a huge part of Peter's story. It tells us the story of Peter being used by God in a way that only two men were ever used in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha, and two men in the New Testament. It was Paul and Peter. Great stories of an apostle, apostle stories. The last story that I have, and maybe it should be the one hopefully that we'll think of first, when someone asks us about stories about Peter, it's a story found in Acts chapter 10. Story again, you're familiar with of Cornelius and the vision. It's the one that Doug said in a Bible study a while back may be the most important scripture in the Bible. You talk about what does it mean to be given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus told him. He would give. He would have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and he shared those keys. To Peter, the opening of the gates of the kingdom of heaven that allows us as Gentiles to be here today. That's one of the greatest stories about the Apostle Peter. And the thing that's so amazing about this story is it came as a revelation directly from God to Peter. The truth that's revealed there was never told anywhere else in scripture it was revealed to Peter directly from God and it came to him in a way that it opposed what Peter had always believed and understood in scripture all his life and yet it changed everything that was to be understood about the plan of God and salvation for the church. Peter's vision redefined who the church would be, and it opened the gates of heaven for all of us. Now, there are other stories about Peter, but I'll just end with this. Peter's story speaks so much about the sovereignty of God. From the very beginning, Jesus changed Peter's name long before he did any of those things that Peter was called to do, and yet he changed his name, telling him he would be the rock on the building of his church, telling him in advance that he would be given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and telling him in advance that he was going to deny him three times before the crucifixion and telling him in advance, telling Peter how he would die. I don't know of anyone else. I know he told other other disciples, I know he told John and James that they were to be baptized in death as well, and the other, the other apostles were martyred with the exception of John. But I don't know of anyone else that he told them how, how they were to die. Yet in all of that, Knowing the sovereignty of God and all of that, when we read all the disciples' stories about Peter, and you've got to know that he spent countless hours bewildered as a disciple, when that every time he turned around, he was being corrected for something. Every time he would try to actively do something, it seemed like he did the wrong thing. Why did Jesus pay so much attention to him? Why is his story recorded in there? He's got 10 times more than any of the other disciples. Well, little did we know and little did Peter know at the time that every one of those stories, every one of those experiences were preparing him for the special calling that he was given. And the sovereignty of God was not just with Peter, it's with all of us. And in the same way, there can be so many things that can be so bewildering to us that we go through in life. I would have to say for Peter, probably the lowest point in his life was the denial. That was probably the lowest point in his life, yet it served to give him more strength and embolden him more for the calling that God gave him than anything else. And hopefully, that's what we too can take from this. That there are things in our lives that will bewilder us, that will discourage us, that will cause us to question and to worry. And yet those are some of the very things that God uses to prepare us for his plan for us because sovereignty of God is is not just for Peter or for some of the apostles. The sovereignty of God is in all of our lives. I want to end with reading uh, the last verse of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 5 and verse 10 of what Peter had to say at the end of that book. And... I couldn't help but think about that a little bit uh, today because Sharon and I over the last few weeks, I'm sure like all of you, you've been watching things unfold every day in Ukraine that just are, are overwhelming to see. And in thinking about what's going on over there, I couldn't help but think about what we read what Peter had to say in the beginning of the writing of the book of First Peter. It was written to exiles. It was written to exiles. And if you look at the definition of exiles, there's another word out there that's very similar to that. And that's the word refugees. It's those that are barred or forced to leave their native country You know, what's going on over there might give us a little bit of a glimpse into why Peter was writing what he did to these people that were exiles. They were forced out of their country too. And as we watch that unfold over there, hopefully it can give us some appreciation, a deeper appreciation for these words, because this is the way Peter ends book of 1st Peter in chapter uh, chapter 5 and verse 10 he says and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power